Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Hello and welcome back to Debating Metal. We're up to episode 32 and this week it's Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind versus Power Slave. We go head to head with the two classic Maiden albums to see which one we think is better than the other. Along with our debate, Kenneth has more rusty metal and I've got two freshly forged picks for you. We're also picking the best of the best with this week's big four Iron Maiden songs. I know I had a hard time picking just four this week. I really could have had a big 40. Was it as hard for you as it was for me? Yeah, it was It was very difficult to, to narrow down that vast collection of awesome songs that Iron Maiden has down to four. It, I could have easily had 10, 20, 30 honorable mentions. Oh, for sure. Uh, being one of my favorite bands, it's. I feel almost like I betrayed some of the other songs by leaving them off. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like they're little stepbrothers or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear just which songs made it onto the Big Four this week. If you missed last week, we picked our Big Four metal soundtracks, so make sure to subscribe and download the episode to check that out. Also, be sure to go to our Instagram at Debating Metal and leave a comment about your Big Four every week. So before we begin, let's review episode 31. Last week was When Did the Band Lose You and Did They Get You Back Part 2. On the episode, we spoke about bands like The Haunted, Overkill, Iced Earth, Wasp, Fozzie, Godsmack, Disturbed, and Queensryche. To find out whether or not they were able to get us back, download or stream the episode on all the major podcast platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Or better yet, just do me a favor, click subscribe or follow, and you'll get our newest episode on your computer or mobile device every Friday. And as always, leave a review and rate us. Subscribing really does help, so please be sure to do that. If you're a regular listener, it always helps us out. And it also makes it easy for you because you'll get alerted every time we put out a new episode. We also want to read your opinions on these and any of our topics, so if you agree with us or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now it's time for some rusty metal. Kenneth, what's your pick this week? Hmm, my pick this week, I'm, I'm still I'm still on that mode of not so heavy, heavy metal, but more like 80s heavy metal. And this is 80s heavy metal that I'm picking today. I'm picking Rat and their debut EP, Rat, that was released in 1983 on Time Coast Communications Records. It was a six-song EP. Um, that was released the year before Out of the Cellar came out. It was their basically their debut to the world. It included songs like Tell the World, You Think You're Tough, and an early version of Back for More, which was re-recorded and put on the Out, Out of the Cellar album. It was actually, because of the success of Out of the Cellar, it was released the following year towards the end of the year, so Out of the Cellar had already done its cycle and it was already you know, super popular and Rat had already broke. They re-released it, remixed and remastered on Atlantic this time with a different back cover and a 
definitely a much brighter and better sound. It sold over 100,000 copies, and it was basically Rat's introduction to the world. There you have it. All right. Well, you know, I, I've never been much of a Rat fan, and I, I don't know if that's ever going to change. So check it out. But uh, no guarantees on that one. Hey, you know, I did see you singing the commercial the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I did, actually. The only words I know are round and round. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> what What's your freshly forged uh, songs for this week? Or albums or whatever. What's freshly forged? <laughs> What did you freshly forge? What did what, what did you do? <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so my freshly forged picks this week. Um, two of my favorite bands have actually released new tracks, which is really exciting. Um, anytime there's a big shakeup with members of a band, I get nervous because you never know what's going to happen. Um, there, with both of these bands, uh, it it happened. And I was, again, nervous. Uh, Nicholas Sundin just left Dark Tranquility this, uh, this year. So them putting out a new album was a little bit nerve-wracking because I have been a fan of this band since the early 90s. Um, to my surprise, they released Phantom Days, and I absolutely love this track. I've listened to it on repeat for the last few days, and you know you really like a song when it gets stuck in your head and you don't mind. Yeah. So I am very happy with it. Um, the guys that replaced it, Christopher Amat, who used to be in uh, Arch Enemy, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Johan Reinhold, who I'm not familiar with, uh, they do a great job. The riff is fantastic. Uh, there's even a really cool video that that they put out for it. So I'm I'm in love with this song. I'm looking forward to hearing more. They're releasing the uh, full album moment supposedly this year. I don't know the release date yet, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to. It. Uh, for my second freshly forged pick, uh, Morse Principium Est, who I've talked about before on this show, uh, has released a new track called Lost in a Starless Aeon. It is fantastic, and actually, I was surprised that you contacted me and said you liked the track. That track is awesome. I I, I saw the video because you know we we had uh, earlier in the year when we when you had mentioned them as one of your um, I think what you should you be listening to. We when we tagged the band, Andy Gillian, the guitar player, uh, agreed with us, of course. <laughs> and I didn't know who it was, so I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, snap, this is the dude from, from you know, Moore's. And I'm like, cool. So I kind of started interacting with him very briefly, and he uh, he responded back and forth a couple times. It was cool. So I, I am definitely someone who decided I was going to follow him, or actually us, Debating Metal. We, are, we, are, we follow them and him on Instagram, so I happened to be going through the 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 the, the, uh, the page and I saw a new video that he was posting because he's going over the recording of the album or the song I can't remember which one and he's doing little snippets and he was playing the guitar solo from the song and that's how I saw it and I'm like hey wait a second I hope 
Chris has heard this, in which you had by that point. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and, and to kind of bridge this into an online pick of the week, uh, Andy Gillian's Instagram page is always really cool. He posts a lot of videos of him playing stuff uh, or just kind of jokes, etc. But he's actually kind of breaking down the, the track and how he recorded it and his mindset. And, and that's been really cool uh, last few Instagram posts. So uh, be sure to follow him on there. And uh, this was, like I said, I kind of mentioned this before, that when there's a shakeup in the band, the only two official members are the singer who's named Ville and uh, Andy Gillian. And Andy's been writing all the music and uh mixing it etc so he's he's pulling many duties on this uh this album and within the band period and the guy is just a, a fantastic musician really inspirational in that regard so uh be sure to follow him and check out this new track they also released another one called a day for redemption a few weeks back uh which is also really awesome but this this particular track just really drove me wild. So uh, be sure to check out both of those. Phantom Days by Dark Tranquility and uh, Lost in a Starless Aeon by Morse Principium Est. Definitely. All right. So we are up to the main topic this week, and it is Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind versus Power Slave. Now, before we begin this, I, I, I really have to say, and in, in, this goes for you as well because you know, we, we speak about this all the time. Iron Maiden is one of our favorite bands. And this is one of those episodes where there's not a bad song in the bunch. And neither one of the albums, you know, they're, they're both classics for Iron Maiden. They came out in there during a classic period. And so it, it, it's, you know, if one edges out the other, in our opinion, it's by a hair. You know, it, it's, that's how good these albums and how good these songs are. So we're we're gonna have fun with this tonight, and uh, and just get to go over some of our favorite music. Absolutely. So, all right. So we're gonna start with peace of mind. Let's give a, a a little quick rundown of peace of mind. At this point, Nico McBrain joins the band, and it becomes the first of four consecutive albums to have this lineup. So it's Nico on drums, Steve on bass, Bruce Dickinson on vocals, and Adrian and Dave on guitars. It would last for four albums. Adrian would leave. Janet Gers would join the band. Then Bruce left. And um, Blaze Bailey joined the band. But then in 1999, the band reunited with Adrian and Bruce. And they have been together that way ever since. So this lineup that did these four albums is actually together to this day. They just added Janet uh, to the, uh, or Yannick to the, uh, to the to the mix of the band this album and power slave were both recorded at compass point studios in nassau bahamas so that tells you a lot about what went on in between there was a lot of drinking because there was nothing else going on on that island (laughs) except recording and drinking (laughs) so the first song where eagles dare written by steve harris um it's a song based on the 1968 film with the same name directed by brian g hutton we got to see this song played at the Legacy of the Beast tour just last year. Now, a year ago, well, a year ago, like next week or something like that, right? I believe so, yeah. So I mean, it, it's amazing it's it, been a year already. Yeah, it really is. 
Uh, it doesn't feel that long, uh, and I hope I get to see them again sometime soon. Uh, but hope to see anybody. <laughs> yeah, see, it would be nice to see any band soon. Right. This is one thing that uh, Iron Maiden is really known for is film references, and this is no exception. Uh, this is about uh, World War II uh, in the winter of 1943 through 1944. Uh, it's a uh, Clint Eastwood film, and it's not one that I'm really familiar with, so I don't have a lot of insight on it, but uh, it's, um, it's a typical theme for Iron Maiden, and you'll feel that kind of theme throughout this album. I think this is really where Iron Maiden kind of started, to, because of Bruce, started to really get into the pocket when it came to songs about movies, songs about books. I mean, they did it in the previous albums, but this is really when it became very well-known. I mean, they did Phantom of the Opera. Okay, they, that that's well-known. But some of the other stuff... Murder, murders in the Room or Mur- murders, yeah. um I mean, they had. I mean, they had things about historical figures like Genghis Khan, but they, they for the first two albums, they really had a lot more. How do you, how do you say it? more more personal things than than, than they did going in reading books and and, and seeing movies. Um, it, like it mostly began with Bruce and during Number of the Beast, but since Bruce wasn't credited with anything on Number of the Beast, even though he did partake in the in the writing sessions, it doesn't come across that way. So now you get to see more. You know, when I say see, you see that his name is 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 one of the songwriters, and you see how much input he does have into this, and how much more it gets with each subsequent album. Where Eagles Dare is basically Iron Maiden's introduction of Nico McBrain to the world, and they did not hold back. I mean, they they had that ripping intro the the drum fill intro that was was just hey, this is this is nico boom and you know dun, 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 you know and it went right into that that drum fill and then the song is just super powerful and it's not a it's not a lyric heavy song it's got what two or three verses but it's a longer song it's like six and a half minutes and there's a lot of instrumentation in the middle some really good solos between Dave and, and, and Adrian. So it, it's it's a really great way to start off the album and way to introduce the fans to, to Nico from that point on. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a great intro song. It, it you know, turns up the, the pace right from the beginning. And like you said, it, it's, you know, it bam, it's right there. So very, very great start to the album. Uh, following that is uh, Revelations, which is, it's kind of slow and mystifying at times, uh, but it keeps this. It keeps varying its pace, which is kind of exciting. So, it, it can go from slow and kind of entrancing to, you know, fast and 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 uh, kind of fantastic in its lyrics and vocals. I mean, it, it's a great song. Yeah, it's it's a it's a Bruce Dickinson song, and he uh, the song is inspired by Aleister Crowley. Uh, and it includes some lines from a book from, well, actually not a book, a hymn from G.K. Chesterton called "O God of Earth and Altar," which is actually a line that's in the song. Um, it's it, it's one of those songs that yes, it's it's got us. It, it's got a powerful intro. I mean, it hits you hard, not fast, but it it, it hits hard, and then it it kind of gets slow and melodic, and then it picks up. 
back to that hard thing again. And then when it goes into the solo, it just rips. And then it slows down at the end. It's a really cool song. One of my favorites. Um, it, it's it's one of those that would probably be up there with the um, the the honorable mentions, if not maybe a big four later on. <laughs> um, that leads into Flight of Icarus, which is one of their more well-known songs, loosely yeah, I mean, based on. on what? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, Flight of Icarus is one of those slow but consistent songs, and it has this this kind of excitement to it like building up but what i like about it is it's not necessarily built up by pace it's built up by the really the vocals of bruce i mean it just gets more and more emphatic as it goes which goes right along with the story of icarus where he's flying too close to the sun i mean it's one of those that the vocal talent of bruce tying into the story is just so evident and it, it it's for that reason it's such an amazing song. Yeah. The song was originally recorded at this particular pace at the at the behest of Bruce and, and Adrian. They wanted it at this very methodical pace. Steve wanted it to be a little bit quicker, a little uh, to give it a little bit more of a immediacy, I guess you could say. Um but Bruce and Adrian won out in terms of the recording of it. But when you listen to it on Live After Death, I mean, it's almost like a speed metal song. It's, they, they play it so fast. Um, I mean, they fl- it's a short song to begin with, and they, they probably knocked off almost 15 seconds in, in the live version. Uh, that's how fast they were playing it. So Yeah, yeah I like both versions, uh, but I kind of prefer the album version of this, of this song for sure. Mm-hmm, yeah, it was the first single released off of Peace of Mind, and the video was... Um, shot at in the in the bahamas near compass point and it has uh, some uh what I call, some cameos from a few folks uh, associated with the band obviously nickel mcbrain is in there but also derek riggs and martin birch are in there i think i'm not so sorry about derek but i know martin birch is the producer is uh shows his face in there but it's a pretty cool video for 1983 i guess you could say so and it's also again this is an adrian smith and bruce dickinson song so you see bruce is is laying out his influence all over iron maiden at this point up next is die with your boots on which is another smith dickinson and this time they they allowed steve to to join in on the writing sessions with them uh die with your boots on a song about how prophets are always predicting doom and destruction but it's up to you whether or not uh you make those you or you believe that those predictions will come true and when it does or when you when it's time you, you make that stand and you die with your boots on or you just turn your back and get killed it's a weird. It, it's it's a it's a really cool song. I like when they play it live because um, there's a lot of fan interaction. But it, to me, it's one of these repetitive songs. It's very repetitive. It is, but uh, it, it I mean it goes by real fast. It's it's exciting. It's frantic. I mean it it's a great song. I mean the the colloquialism "die with your boots on" just means you know face down your fears, die with your boots on. You know, you are not backing down. And that's, I think, something that maybe not a lot of people can relate to, but they should be able to. I think I think standing up for yourself and, and, you know, I don't know the best way to put this, but when when my grandpa and my my, you know, dad were an influence on me as a child, they told me to be a man. And that's uh, I think die with your boots on is kind of that that same mentality. For sure. Absolutely. 
All right, so now we come to side two, if you will, if you have the original record. Song number five on the CD for those digital people. Um, the Trooper, probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous song from Iron Maiden. A song written by Steve Harris, and it's based on the Charge of the Light Brigade at the Battle of Balaclava in 1854 during the Crimean War. Um, it is a song, if you notice carefully, it does not have a true chorus. It just has a kind of harmonic vocal line. And it's one of the few songs that's like that that you can get away with that and still be a classic song. <laughs> it's it's a, one of the coolest songs that they have in their catalog. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the quintessential Iron Maiden riff. Um, it's... It's a very recognizable song. It has a beer named after it. <laughs> I mean, it's... I I can't imagine uh, a, a song that kind of defines them that I think a lot of people would recognize, even, even non-fans, uh, more than The Trooper. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I was going to say about it, when you, when you, you brought up uh, it's the quintessential Iron Maiden song... Not only is it the quintessential Iron Maiden song, if you think about it, it's a, the album cover or the single cover is also one of the most quintessential Iron Maiden identifying things that are out there. The Trooper picture is probably the most famous of all the Iron Maiden Eddies that are out there. I would say, I wouldn't even, I'd say more famous than Eddies from Killers. Those two are the, are the top two, and I would say the Trooper only because they have it on so much merchandise, like the beer. And stuff like that, that it's more famous. But you see that and you instantly know it's Iron Maiden. You know it's the Trooper. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the next song is Still Life, which was based on Inhabitant of the Lake. So, again, you're seeing more tracks based on literary references. This is a little bit softer start, but it takes off. And it's a, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty exciting song. I wouldn't say my favorite. The next two tracks are probably my least favorite tracks on the album, um, but still a good one. Still, still life to me. I love that track. Um, I love the quiet intro, you know. But then when it builds up to that, the 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 next verse when it, when it, when they kick into the whole so the whole band kicks in. Man, is that powerful? And I I just love everything about that song. I mean, I. I it, that's one of my favorite Iron Maiden songs, hands down. Really? Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's just one of those songs that really does it for me when it comes to, to Iron Maiden and, and, and the stuff. Just, I love the quiet intro, and I love the guitar solo. It's super cool. I don't know. It's it's one of those things. That just it, I like to, you know, those deep tracks. I like to pick out the, the, the deep tracks on certain albums that are really good. And this is probably one of their best if not the best deep track, in my opinion. Now, it's funny because I said it's not one of my favorite tracks, but by saying that, when you when you have to think about it, like this is still better than anything that's on, you know, X Factor or <laughs> anything like that. Like it's still a great track and quite possibly in the, my top forty, which says a lot still you know, for the band. So even though I say it's not my favorite, it's, it's still up there because, you know, this is a fantastic album. Both of these are. Yes. Now what's cool about this song as well on the intro of the song. So before the, the, the quiet, uh, 
melodic uh, musical interlude at the beginning. The song is introed with a backwards hidden message that's spoken by. Huh? Say what? It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's spoken by Nico, and so when it's 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 backwards. So when you play the album backwards, then you get the message that he um, he spoke. And it was the, the basically the, the the message was intended as a joke because they had a lot of backlash during the Number of the Beast tour. They were accused of being you know devil worshippers, and there were cases in the American courtrooms about um, metal bands using backward messages in their songs, especially Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne through the eighties. So they put out this message, and basically, the, 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 in the nutshell of the message was don't mess, don't meddle with things you don't understand. Now I don't know if that's a threat. Or well, just, it was also accompanied with a burp. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and not so much a threat, but, you know, it could come across that way to someone who doesn't listen to the burp. But it's one of those things where it's like Iron Maiden has been accused of so many different things over the years. And it's like, you people just don't get it. Listen to the music. Listen to the, the, the words. You know what? Number of the Beast was a dream. You know, the Troopers, all these songs are, are about something. They're, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of them are not even fictional. A lot of them are actually real life, you know, and the ones that are fiction are based on someone else's account of fiction. You know, there's not a lot that are, that's completely made up from scratch when it comes to Iron Maiden. And that's a cool thing. You know, that that's one of the really cool things about, especially Steve Harris, because he's the main lyric writer, you know, but him and Bruce are just amazing when it comes to the words that they're able to put on paper and put on songs. So that was the hidden message at the beginning of that song, and that was that was really cool. I loved it. I mean, growing up, you know, I had the record. I'm like, oh, you know, and I didn't have one of those record players that was easily able to spin backwards. So I had to, you know, try hard and hard, and I was like, man, this really sucks <laughs> trying to do this, and I didn't want to mess up the record and stuff like that, but... I got to listen to it, and eventually they, they, they came out and said what it was. But it, it was one of those things where he's like, yeah, Iron Maiden's cool because, you know, they do things like this. Mm. <laughs> so moving on to the songs that you said you didn't like as much. Uh, one, Quest for Fire. It's a Har- it's a Stephen Harris written song. It's based on the 1981 film of the same name. It's directed by Jean-Jacques Arnaud. It's, it's just basically about... God, I forgot the whole early man. <laughs> yeah, early man, caveman, whatever you want to call it, the Geico people. <laughs> you know, um, well, that's an old reference. Yeah, um, I know, right? <laughs> no, um, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, what was that old show with the dinosaur, Land of the Lost? Yeah, kinda, kind of a vibe to it. Um, there was a little bit of cheesiness to it, and, very and a, a lot of people, a lot of people. <laughs> definitely criticize this song for that but in in all actuality i'll take this song over you know a lot of other songs that are out there from other bands just because it's that much more intelligent you know yeah i I don't mind it it just it's just not one of my favorites on the album and it's Um, not a fast song it's not even a plotter it's just kind of it just kind of moseys along (laughs) kind of song yeah it's not one that ever stuck in my mind and that's kind of what it is the only thing that really sticks in my mind is you know in the time of dinosaurs you know at the beginning in the time of dinosaurs in the time when dinosaurs walked the earth yeah yeah i mean a lot of people have have criticized that part about it but you know i don't care i mean i don't care for that reason it just like i said it doesn't stick out to me right 
All right, Sun and Steel is another Dickinson Smith song. Um, I actually like this song a lot. I like the, the, the frenetic pace to the song. Um, I mean, there's not a lot to the song. It's a very short, quick, fast song. Um, there's not a lot of I like depth what it's it. about. I oh. mean, it's about Miyamoto Musashi, who's a pretty well-known samurai. Right. If you're if you're familiar with samurai culture, you probably know that name. Um, what I don't like about it is it's it's kind of a poppy song for Iron Maiden. And it just, I don't know, it just never really appealed to me. It, but it does have that really typical Iron Maiden gallop. It's a song that goes by pretty quick. So it's not a bad song. It's just not my thing per se. I mean, I could, I could see your point when it when it when it comes to the the poppiness of it, but mm-hmm. it if you think about where the band has been headed at this point, you know, you hear a song like Flight of Icarus, it's a little different than the rest of the songs that Iron Maiden have. It's a little different, you know, like the Trooper. It's a little different. You know, you you can tell there's something special about it. Now, Sun and Steel is not the special song. But it's you can tell that they're heading in a certain direction, and it's it's a slow head. You know, you, you're still way down the road, but you can you can hear see hints of it, and those hints are coming from from uh, Adrian Smith and from Bruce Dickinson. But it's a cool song nonetheless. And then the album ends off with "To Tame a Land." It is an epic song based on the book Dune. Which I know you know nothing about. I know nothing about. <laughs> um, it's actually exciting. I, I uh, There is a new Dune movie coming out that looks really good. But that being said, Dune is one of those epic tales of, uh, of a man who has to kind of reclaim his place. It, his family's betrayed, taken, you know, down from his, his place in life. And, you know, kind of opens up to another side of the world, uh, leading the people, the downtrodden, uh, back against the evil dictator, the evil ruler. So it's one of those really cool epic tales. And I think the song really exemplifies a lot of the story elements very well. Even if you're not familiar with Dune, it's a subject that can easily be related to. And it's a great song. It's seven minutes that go by pretty fast. So... I, I really like it. One thing that, that in this time period that Iron Maiden did really well is they ended their albums with an epic tale. And to hear one about Dune was really cool, especially as a fan growing up. Yeah, I, I think the song is great. You know, I, I'm ne- I was never obviously familiar with the subject matter of the song, but that didn't bother me. The song itself was cool. And the, mm-hmm. and the, different, the different elements that, that the song has, it's, it's a typical... And actually, I, I would I would almost say it started more with this song than it did with "Hallowed Be Thy Name," although "Hallowed Be Thy Name" is a long song and it's the epic closer of "Number of the Beast." This was the first song that had the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows of all the closers that would eventually come from uh, to be known, you know, for, for what Iron Maiden would become known for. And this has you know s- soft passages. It has. You know, uh, and I'm not saying completely quiet, but slow. It slows it down. It picks the pace back up, and it's it killer killer guitar solos in it. You know, you can hear that bass clear as day playing throughout the song. I mean, it's 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 Iron Maiden at its best at that point, and they're just jamming along to the song. I love the way this album ends. So, mm-hmm. 
even though I don't know anything about the song, and and for whatever reason, it never really inspired me to go out and find out about that about Dune. I had heard about it and known that the movie was out, and I was just not a sci-fi guy. Um, the, the movie's not great. If you saw it when it came out, it's probably easier to get into. It's a really long movie. I think that's why it's being split up into two for this new series of movies. The other thing is that it the, the, the special effects were a bit cheesy, especially when you compare it to something like Star Wars. But the tale itself is really good. So even if you didn't see the original or you've never read the book, maybe check out the new movie. And it, I think it'll be pretty cool. Will do. All right. So that is the end of Peace of Mind. Um, the band embarked on a tour um, that would last the rest of the year of 1983. I believe it ended in November or December. And then after that, they went on to uh, the recording sessions for Power Slave. So tell us about Power Slave. All right. So following that, Iron Maiden uh, released power slave in september of 1984 one thing that really always stood out to me about this album is the cover you know it's it's this image of eddie in a position of power being that he's he's a a pharaoh on the on the front of a, a, a egyptian pyramid and the colors are just so bright and vibrant i remember this was one of the ones that really stood out to me as far as album covers for the band um I want to say this was the second album I owned by Iron Maiden. And one one thing I always loved about it was that, it, it, especially now, that it ties into a lot of the other stuff. Like you see it in, in uh, Somewhere in Time. And now with the Book of Souls, it's that same kind of theme with Eddie. Um, so one thing that I really love about this album is the way it starts. Uh, Ace is high. When we got to see it on the Legacy of the Beast tour, oh my god, what a crazy opening. That plane flying above the audience, wow. Yeah, that, what was, a great that was super cool. Uh, I mean, this is often associated with the uh, speech by... Uh, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, yeah. Oh my gosh, what a, what a great way to open the concert. It, absolutely. I mean, there's that song... I believe we had a thing earlier in in the in the episodes where we talked about intro songs, and that, if I'm not mistaken, was my number two or or three or whatever. And I know I think it was your number one. I'm not sure, or vice versa. But it was in our top four, in both of our top fours. And that that song, especially when you when you combine it with the Winston Churchill thing, because it's not on the album. But they put it on the live album. They put it on the subsequent live albums and videos and stuff like that. And that whole intro is just it. It as soon as you hear that plane and the and the the engine start to start up, you know it's on. You know it's time to to see Iron Maiden at its best. And so that song is 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 killer. I mean, about the World War II British Royal Air Force fighter pilots that. The, the, their mission was this was the first mission that was all done by air in World War II by the by the Royal Air Force so it the, the whole song just the, the frenetic pace about it just you almost feel like you're in the plane with them because you're 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 feeling like there's bullets flying by you there's, there's just the whole thing if you don't succeed at this mission it could all go down I mean it's that's the song is so powerful it's a really cool song 
Yeah, and it, I mean, it only continues with the second track, which is Two Minutes to Midnight. This continues the pace of the album that's kind of going to be set for the whole album. It is another really classic song. It's a reference to the Doomsday Clock, a protest to nuclear war in the 1980s. Um, I mean, if you grew up during that time, you know that it was a really kind of scary time period with Russia. Uh, Nobody knew if there was going to be tomorrow at, at, you know, in, especially when it was amplified by the media, by the government uh, to kind of have this mindset of, of nuclear war could be on, on the edge of, of today, you know, there could be no tomorrow. So there was a lot of outcry and a lot of uh, opinions being pushed out there. And this was one that it's a little bit under the radar, uh, but I, I think it's pretty clear what this is about. Oh yeah, I mean it's definitely it, it and it's a, it's a, actually when you when you break it down, it's a protest song, it's an anti-war song. But mm-hmm. obviously the subject matter is based about about what was happening at that time. Um 2 minutes to midnight written by by Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson. The other thing that that uh is about this song is that Adrian got a lot of flack from for the opening riff to this song because they said, "Oh, he copied it from another song." Well, um the guys over at Talking Maiden, the Talking Maiden podcast, they broke down this song and they, and they were able to track down, uh, I want to say, close to 10 to 15 different versions of a song that had the same exact or really close guitar intro. And a lot of that came from the new wave of British heavy metal. So Iron Maiden being one of the bands that came out of that movement they just had that that riff is just there it's one of those riffs that you know like sort of like the three chord riffs that everyone else plays in the blues it's all the, it's always there you know so it's one of those things where you just can't help but mimic something very similar to that but regardless the song itself does take off into a different direction and, and it, it's not the same as the other songs but it's a super cool song the riff is great the the production of the whole album is just awesome. I mean, Martin Birch is, was the premier producer in his day for heavy metal. And that, that this peace of mind and this album are just stellar, stellar production. I I think honestly, I like the production of this album better than I do of peace of mind. It just feels fuller. It has a, a, um, a much more robust sound than, than peace of mind did. All right, so the next track is Lost for Words, Big Aura. It's a good instrumental that really fits in here. I love the harmony moments. Uh, It's an instrumental that doesn't serve to slow the pace, but instead uh, kind of serves as a transition between the the vibe of the song. So, I mean, it takes you right into Flash of the Blade really well. The Power Slave was my first tour or first concert that I ever got to see. And they actually played Lost for Words that night. And I think they played Lost for Words because they supposedly had dropped it from the set. But they put it back in, in this uh, for this show. And I think it had to do with the fact that Bruce was sick and he needed to take a break. They had just come back from Rio de Janeiro a few weeks earlier. Uh, and Bruce, uh, being in New York City, Bruce caught the flu. And... He was not himself. He was not running back and forth across the stage. He, he he persevered, that's for sure. But they ended up canceling the next two nights. I saw night five of uh, seven nights at Radio City Music Hall, which ended up being the last night. 
but yeah, I think they put this out, this song in there just to give Bruce a break um, because he didn't have to sing and kill his voice. But it was, it's, it's a cool song. I mean, I like instru- some instrumentals. This one is uh, got some cool stuff on it. You know, with, like you said, with the harmonies and all that. And um, it's since it's recorded well, it kind of sounds good. So you know, you hear every instrument very clearly. So it does it doesn't doesn't detract from the album, like you said. So it is definitely a good transition to go into the rest of the album. Oh yeah, and the next track I really love. I mean, it's Flash of the Blade. It tells a tale of a boy who grows up to become a fearless warrior, kind of admiring uh, warriors fighting dragons, etc., and using his might to face uh, evil with honor. It's it's a cool tale, and especially like you know growing up and being interested in you know things like Lord of the Rings, etc. Um, it's it's fun to hear these kind of stories. You know, it's it's a pretty inspiring tale of somebody you know, growing up and fighting the odds and becoming something great. Yeah, and in, in the words is also mentioned about the fact that, you know, he's got to basically honor his family. So something happened to his family in the story. And, and mm-hmm. it's funny because that song harkens to me, like you said, Lord of the Rings, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of what's going on nowadays with a lot of these old period pieces. And, and even though it's, it's completely fictional, it's in a different time, different... Uh, universe game of thrones it could easily be part of a game of thrones type of thing because of the swords. oh yeah and any of those kind of yeah, fantasy the witcher novels. exactly you know and it's so it's it's pretty cool how that song written back in 1984 can apply itself so easily to today oh yeah uh the next track is the duelist i mean it's pretty straightforward what it's about you know fight it, you know engaging in a fight to the death uh, which seems to be a, a common theme with a lot of Iron Maiden tracks. It's Burr um, versus Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So what what uh, what's cool about this to me is that we've reached track five. We're halfway through the album, and it's still maintaining this kind of exciting pace. There are ebbs and flows, but at the same time, we haven't dipped down into... Uh, anything really particularly slow but at the same time you know how if if it stays at one consistent pace throughout the whole album sometimes that can become old i don't feel that way here it's it's very exciting the album passes by really quick and like i said we're in track five and we're still maintaining a quick exciting pace yeah and then the pace speeds up with back in the village oh yeah yeah back in the village another song by smith and dickinson now they go back to something that's tried and true. They went back to the Prisoner TV series and they wrote another song about the show. Um, and that's and that's you know one of those episodes that that caught their eye and they wrote a song about it. And it's really cool uh, how they how they're able to tie some songs from their history back to to a newer song. Uh, they did it a lot with Charlotte the Harlot, and they did it with the uh, with the Prisoner. Yeah, the, the village was actually the name of the prison in that TV series. Um, I'm not familiar with the TV series. I've I've put it on my list years ago, at least to watch a couple episodes, because, you know, when when a band is so into something like this or, or you know, an artist that you're a fan of, etc., it kind of inspires you to want to watch it. So I've always had it on my list. I've just never gotten around to watching it. Me neither. I, I've had it on that that list of wanting to to watch something, and I haven't gotten to it as well. 
So shame on both of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to to uh, you know turn that around in the next coming weeks. Sure. All right. So this is the big track of of Power Slave, uh, the self titled song, uh, a sequel to Revelations, according to uh, Bruce Dickinson. I mean, this is this is an iconic riff. It's about a dying pharaoh wanting to continue on, but kind of not understanding that, you know, being somebody that's in a, a, a position of such power, why does mortality apply to them? You know, threatening to return as a mummy and rule once more. This is this is what the album's all about as far as this this feeling of, of power, this you know, the imagery that's on the cover, that everything that, that here there that's in here is what is kind of uh the driving force here this song is i've i've grown to appreciate this song more and more over the years the first time i heard it i was kind of creeped out by the intro you know with the with the the heartbeat and the in the scary voice if you want to put it that way and mind you i'm I'm 15 when this came, this album came out, so it was nothing like I was scared of it. But it was it had a creepy kind of sound to the intro, and, and I was like, yeah, I didn't play it as much. I was like, eh, I'll skip, you know, I'll jump over from from back in the village all the way to Rhyme and the Ancient Mariner, and I just, I, I again, I appreciated it more as when I got the CD later on. I said, you know, what, let me listen to the whole thing, and and I I, I began to understand more and more about the track, and I. I began to really appreciate it, and it is now one of my favorite Iron Maiden songs. If if you've ever seen the original Mummy, which I guess a lot of people don't really realize, there was one before the kind of you know the covered in in wrappings Mummy that you kind of uh, visualize when somebody says the Mummy. The first one was a Boris Kor- Boris Karloff film, and uh, he really didn't look that way at the beginning when he first emerges as the mummy he did but then he takes on a more traditional appearance and it's it's a different tale than the ones that followed and this song always kind of reminded me of that even though it's not based on it per se but it always reminded me of that original movie and and iron maiden being so closely associated with film and and you know media of that type uh i I always kind of thought it was a similar tale. So if you haven't seen that original one, it's a great horror film. That's cool. And Testament did a really killer cover of this song. I love the work that Gene Hoagland did on this version of, of Power Slave that Testament recorded. It is killer. A lot of double bass just at the right time. Um, and then they, they did a, f- a few start and stop type of guitar riffs on there that just emphasize certain points of the song. It's super, super killer version. If you have it, if, if you don't have it out there, pick it up. It's on the deluxe edition of Dark Roots of the Earth. It's really cool. Yeah, I've heard it before. I don't I don't remember it all that well, but yeah, I, I'll definitely check that one out again. Alright, so Here's here's the big ender, which we talked about with the last album. They weave these gigantic, exciting tales that oftentimes really don't feel as long as they are. Uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, I had to read in, in high school and college. 
um, which was unfortunate when you have to read uh, a very long tale twice. Um, but it was funny <laughs> I, that I actually really appreciated it more the second time. Um, it what's what's cool about the song that ties into that story uh, so well is that he captures a lot of the elements of the story really well. You have the sense of danger. You have these supernatural elements. You have moments of, of quiet serenity. You have all these things that, that are in the poem. And he uh, Bruce captures them really well uh, with his vocals. And and that's one thing, like I, I said earlier with another one of the songs, I, I really appreciate this about a lot of the, the tie-ins to the way Bruce sings songs. You know, I, I mentioned it with uh, Flight of Icarus, where, yeah, it's a Steve Harris song, but Bruce captures these elements of the source material and brings them in, and it's not just all about the background music. He, it's his vocals that are driving the song. Oh, absolutely. One, that, that's the one thing that, um, to this day, is is so special about Bruce. He's not the only lyric writer in the band. But when he writes when he sings Steve's songs, he's singing them as if he wrote them because he is in Iron Maiden. Steve is in Iron Maiden. They are all all six of them are Iron Maiden. And so whether it was a, a Paul Diano song, whether it was a Bruce song, whether it was a, a Blaze song, Bruce sings them all as if they're his, and it that's they own, he owns the song. Put it that way, and that's the one thing I love about Bruce. Some of the other singers are out there. Some other ones, including Rob Halford, including Joey Belladonna, they don't necessarily acknowledge or want to acknowledge, and, and Rob does. But they don't necessarily want to look back in, into those into that time period, and that's that's just a disservice to to the band itself. Oh, yeah, Bruce, I'm dying to hear Rob Halford sing some of the stuff off of the Ripper years. I mean, I I wish he would do some of those tracks. I wish Joey would do some stuff off of uh, from the Bush years. But oh, yeah. you know, I get it; they have enough material. But you know what? That material is also Anthrax, and so. It's just one of those things. That's what I love about Bruce. Bruce had no problem when he rejoined the band singing several of the the Blaze songs, mm-hmm. and and he is he is now turned "Sign of the Cross" into one of his songs. He has turned "The Klansman" into one of his songs. So those they do a, he does a great job, and with with Ryan and Ancient Mariner with this album, it's just the the way he sings these things, it's so cool, and. It's so hard to 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 see anybody else singing it because because of the way he it's not the the way he approaches the song but the way he allows the song to encapsulate him and he becomes one with the song when he sings it it's, that's that's one of the coolest things about Iron Maiden especially about Bruce just a love I love him as a singer and and that and that band I just always feel like the the members of that band are totally dedicated to what they're doing. And when they weren't, they dismissed themselves from the band. I mean, I, I have total respect for the decisions that they made along the years. And I would rather them move on and do something different and try something different than just kind of go through the motions. 
But I think now, especially like when we saw them this last year, they're they're just completely dedicated to what they're doing, and that's what makes them so great. For sure, definitely. Um, a cool story, a, a couple of cool stories actually that pertain to Ryman Ancient Mariner. The first time I saw him during the Power Slave tour, the, when they get to the soft interlude where it on the album it sounds like a boat is creaking. They lowered the lights. They had these triangle-shaped uh, lighting trusses come down from the from the the rafters, all the way down to probably maybe six, seven feet from the ground, from from the floor to stage. And while this is going, while these the, the lighting trusses moving down, the the creaking of the boat is going on during the song, and I could have swore that the lights were going to fall. <laughs> when I first saw him, like, and I, I, I forgot the connection to the fact that the, the song actually has that creaking boat sound in it. That was the first time I had a funny issue with that. Second time, when I saw them on the Somewhere in Time tour, someone threw an M80 onto the stage and it blew up in front of the sound guy, which was right not too far from Bruce Dickinson because he was at the, they had a pointed stage at this point. Uh, very similar to like how ACDC has this little thing come out towards the front at, at, for this show. And it spun him around. He stopped singing and started yelling and trying to get this guy thrown out of the show. Uh, but oh, wow. as but as a professional, he was able to pick up exactly where he needed to do, where they went into that break in, in the song right before it gets to the um, before the slow part. Where they start going into the instrumental, and then it, it brings into slow part right before that when they kind of the right there when there's some uh, small vocal part, they mm-hmm. stop they they hit it. I mean, he was yelling and cursing, and all of a sudden he he picked up where the band was at and he started singing exactly where he needed to be at. So it goes to show how good of a professional he is. <laughs> nice. So yeah, so that that that's my stories of rhyming the ancient mariner with Iron Maiden. <laughs> All right, so we have gotten to the end of the two albums, and I got to say, it's hard to pick between these two records, but I know you have yours and I have mine. Do you want to say yours first or you want me to say mine first? Well, I mean, for me, I, I go with Power Slave. The pacing of the album I like better. The overall tone, I, li- I feel like it's a fuller sound on Power Slave tracks like back in the village aces high two minutes to midnight flash of the blade they're they're all songs i can relate to in some way like they've they've inspired me over the years rhyme of the ancient mariner like i said i had to read that one twice and i always like i appreciated it more and more over the years and i just like while i feel like um peace of mind has some of the most iconic and really songs that some of them I like better than what's on Power Slave. I like the cohesiveness of Power Slave more, and therefore I kind of pick it as my favorite of the two. I I, I hear exactly where you're coming from, and I would almost go in that same direction. And I think what what has me leaning towards peace of mind is that it was the first new Iron Maiden that I bought back in 1983. Had my money, go out, heard the new Iron Maidens out, and I picked that one up. And that one, just 
listening to that first intro to Where Eagles Dare and going all the way through to Tame a Land, I was I was instantly hooked. And it was so good to hear, you know, after listening to Number of the Beast and, and you say, oh, is the next album going to be good? And you, you get this album and it's like almost to some degree almost better because it's new and it has all these cool songs. And the same thing happened with Power Slave. You know, Power Slave comes out and it's like, shit, they're still doing good songs. It's just as good. It's not, it's better. You know, all these exciting emotions. But when I when I lay it down, I believe for me that the nine songs on Peace of Mind just collectively for me uh, make it stand out a little bit more for, than Power Slave. So there you have it. We're on opposite ends again. (laughs) Well, it's bound to happen. All right. So that means that it's time for the big four. I want to say that I went first last time. That's fine. I'll go first this time. All right. So So what's your big four Iron Maiden songs? All right. My big four Iron Maiden songs, actually, they span the gamut of uh, Iron Maiden to some degree. Um, my number four song is The Wicker Man from the Brave New World album. That riff, when when that thing kicks in and all of a sudden the, the drums kick in and the song gets going, that is such an awesome song. And that is the first thing you hear when Iron Maiden has... Re- well, it's the second track you've ever heard at this point because some people heard the re-recorded version of Wrathchild from Iron Maiden that came out the year before that. And in reality, that wasn't re-recorded. It was actually the original studio recording with Bruce Dickinson just redoing the vocals. So the first time you hear the reunited band it, as a whole, all six members, is when you hear the Wicker Man and that guitar riff hit. Just hands down amazing. You knew Brave New World was going to be a killer album. Number three... We just spoke about the song, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. 13 minutes and 45 seconds of absolute perfect Iron Maiden. It, it goes through the story. It goes through an interlude. It comes up through the guitar solo. It goes to the rest of the story, and then it ends, and it's just awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I like this song so much. I even like the story. I, one time I was driving back from Florida, and my wife was uh, had to do something with English lit or something like that. And she had that that poem was in her book. I had her read it to me. <laughs> I tortured oh, wow. her. I tortured her and I made her read it to me. The entire poem from beginning to end. And it's, it, was, it was quite a long poem, let me tell you. I know you read it twice. So it was funny because I couldn't read it myself. I was driving, so I had her read it to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two, Phantom of the Opera. Love that song. I mean, killer riff. It's a Paul Diano song. Came off the first album. It is Bruce, even in in 2005, when they did the tour where they only played the first uh, songs off the first four Iron Maiden albums, Bruce himself told the audience, this is the epitome of Iron Maiden songs. And to me, it's, it's, it's... it's almost the best song, in my opinion. But there's one more. And number one is Hallowed Be Thy Name. 
to me, hands down, the best Iron Maiden song out there by far. I love the story. Guy going to the gallows, questioning why. And it's just absolutely amazing. The slow intro, the bells, everything. It's just killer. I love that song. I know every word to that song. I love singing it. It's awesome. That's my big four Iron Maiden songs. Well, like we said, this was a hard one to pick. Um, you know, four songs out of so many amazing ones. Uh, I Like I said at the very beginning, it's. I feel like I'm betraying the other songs. Well, I have 20 honorable mentions if you want to hear them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for me, number four is uh, one that really grew on me over the years and it's become one of my favorite songs from from the band and uh like you mentioned earlier you love the deep tracks well this is one of them uh loneliness of the long distance runner i love the album uh, that this is from i mean it's it's probably number two of my of my iron maiden albums and that would be uh somewhere in time uh, loneliness of the long distance runner is one of those songs that kind of builds up over time and kind of like what i mentioned with flight of icarus it's one of those that the bruce really brings out the the amazingness of the song and uh i know it's a deep track and it's probably not on many people's big four but it's on mine they they played this i think three times in concert <laughs> ever ever <laughs> yeah um number t- uh sorry number three is uh the evil that men do off of a seventh son of a seventh son that is a freaking fantastic song i love singing along with it it's it's one of my favorites and uh i was so glad that i got to hear it live at this last concert hallowed be thy name is my number two so your number one is my number two um yes it is one of those songs that it has everything about it 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 has the slow build, you know the the um, waiting my cell to, you know the just screaming at the end. I mean it's it it's so hard to describe everything that makes this a great song, and it really easily should be my number one, but it's it's beaten out for me by my favorite, which is Wasted Years. That opening riff to the song the kind of i i I hate to say poppier beat to it but it kind of has that which i often look down on but it's one of those songs that i grew up listening to and i could sing along to i just loved it and i think it's it's probably the one that i listened to the most over the years and it's hard for me to deny to deny that this is my favorite song from iron maiden fair enough that's a that's a good list. I like that one. I forgot about certain songs, but the other ones just happen to stand out so much to me. All right. Well, that's it for debating metal. We know you can't get enough, so tune in next week to episode thirty-two. We'll be discussing Scorpions, Love Drive versus Blackout. It's gonna be dynamite. You won't <laughs> you won't have to ask. Is there anybody there? Because the episode will be out Friday, as always. You know we can't live without you. So when the smoke is going down, be sure to always turn it up to 11. See ya. <laughs>